Good morning once again. Um, I'm so glad that you're here today. We're going to begin with a story that I think most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with. Um, We're going to jump right in before we go any farther. It's found in chapter 10 of Luke's Gospel. And um, uh, we begin reading in verse 25. It says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Bingo, Jesus told him. That's the Greek is, it's actually, well, yeah, right. Uh, do, this, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who's my neighbor? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, now go and do the same. When you think about what God wants from us, Jesus says it boils down to two things. It boils down to with everything in you, love God. With all you are, all you have, everything in you, love God. And secondly, love your neighbor like you love yourself. That's it. That's it. Everything else comes from, stems from these two commands. Now, verse 29 tells us that the man that prompted this conversation was feeling pretty confident in himself, and so he asked Jesus another question, and he said, and who is my neighbor? That's a big question, and the answer that he got was not what the man expected. See, Jesus gave an answer that didn't directly answer the question that the man asked, but rather answered another question. The man asked, who is my neighbor? In other words, he wanted to know, what are the limits of my responsibility to love? Who am I required to love? And who is outside of my responsibility to love? And, you know, it sounds like it could be a reasonable question, I guess, but the problem is Jesus didn't answer it. See, rather than the who, he answered the how. Rather than, who is my neighbor, he answered, how do I neighbor? 
And it's the answer that Jesus gave that, that you know, in How Do I Neighbor, that's the basis for the series that we're beginning today. So our series is titled, How to Neighbor. See, the who is simple. The who is simple. You want to know, who do I have to love? Okay. Jesus will never ask you to love anybody that he doesn't already love. All right? He will never ask you to love anybody that he does not already love. So the question then is, who does Jesus love? Well, simple, everyone. You know, John 3, 16, for God so loved North America, so God so loved South America or Africa, for God so loved the penguins in the Antarctic, I don't know why that popped up. God so loved the world, everyone in the world. So that, that, that part's simple. You know, he, he, you know he, every time you meet a person, you've just met someone that God loves and therefore someone that he wants you to love. It's really that simple. In Luke 10, he doesn't answer, directly answer the who, but in answering the how, he uses an unlikely example. Let's look at verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along. I want to ask you, despised by who? Despised by the Jews? Despised by the injured man? Despised by society in general? Yes. All of those, yes. He was a despised Samaritan. He came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. And then he put the man in his own donkey, took him to an inn where he took care of him. See, this was a big deal. And the reason that this was a big deal was because the Jews had a deep-seated hatred of Samaritans. Deep-seated, and it goes back 700 years. See, 700 years prior to this, the Jews were exiled Some, uh, and and as they were exiled, there were some that were left behind, and they intermarried with some from, uh, with people from a different race. And they married people who, you know, worshipped other gods, worshipped pagan gods, and therefore they began to take on the worship of pagan gods themselves. And the Samaritans were the descendants of those mixed marriages. And and the, the Jews despised them. They weren't pure blood. They despised the Samaritans. Now, before the Samaritan came along, two Jewish men had come along. They walked by, but they did nothing. I mean, the guy was beat up pretty badly, and I think they were afraid maybe that they might become unclean if they touched this guy and found out that he was dead, or if he died while they were trying to help. It just would have messed their up their whole day, because then they could not have carried through with their religious duties, going to the temple and, and that. They, they, they couldn't have carried through with them if they were you know, considered unclean by this. So they just ignored him and just walked by. See, they were asking the wrong question, these two Jewish men. I, I, I love what Dr. Martin Luther King said about this passage. He said, the first question the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this man... What will happen to me? If I stop to help, what will happen to me? And then he said, the Good Samaritan reversed the question and said, 
if I do not stop and help this man, what will happen to him? The heart of the gospel is loving God and loving others, even if they're different than us. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Our nation right now is having a really difficult time with this, with loving people that are different from us. It seems we argue with them, we accuse them, we look at them with suspicion, we're quick to believe the worst, we fear them, so much negativity aimed at people, we just, you know, every, we, we, it seems that we, that we figured out how to do everything but love them like Jesus would. It's no wonder that racism has become such a huge dividing problem in our country. We live in a culture of fear, suspicion, and accusation of everyone who is different than us. You know, I think I've said before, I grew up thinking that racism was the most part, for the most part, was a thing of the past in our country, that it really wasn't an issue anymore. And then at some point, I woke up to reality. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. I love this country. I love the United States. There's a lot of good here. There's a lot that's right here. But at the same time, there's this poisonous root of racism that goes deep down to the founding of our country. It wasn't cut off by the Emancipation Proclamation. It wasn't rooted out by the Civil Rights Movement of the 60s. It just at some point kind of somewhat went underground. In the last several years, it's been rearing its ugly head more and more. Racism is a reality that must be dealt with, but here's one of the obstacles that we run into in talking about racism. Most of us, at least hopefully all of us here, are appalled by the thought of it, right? Most of us are appalled by the thought of racism. It's offensive, it's repulsive, it's repugnant to us. So what we do is often we tend to relegate it like I did to mostly belonging to past history. I mean, I grew up in the 60s and the 70s. There was so much going on, and at the time, I was oblivious to most of it, all the racial unrest in this country. Um, I lived for three years, 8th, 9th, 10th grade, in uh, upstate New York, or Westchester County. And racism, to me, was not even a thought, because I grew up in a white town, white culture. I don't remember there being any African Americans in my high school of 1,600 people. Now, I think my brother said he had a friend that was, but I don't know if I ever saw him. It wasn't an issue. Then after my sophomore year, I moved to Indianapolis, went to North Central, became very aware that something was going on there because all of a sudden I realized I was allowed to walk on this side of the hall in front of the school auditorium, 
but I wasn't allowed to go up on this side over here because those people were different and they didn't want me there. And I began to realize that, you know, maybe this thing that I read about in the history books, maybe it's not all as gone as I thought it was. So, you know, a lot of us, we, we relegate it to past history, or we ignore it and say, well, it's not a problem today, or, or it's only a problem because not right now because you've got some people that are stirring it up, right? It's only a problem now because you've got people stirring it up, right? Well, I was thinking about this as I was working on this, and you can't stir up what's not down there, right, what's already there. And I thought of my days in IU when I would, lived in Foster Quad and would go to Gresham Hall to eat dinner. And there were certain nights when the things they served weren't exactly what you would want to eat. And that's when I started to learn how to eat yogurt. Never had yogurt before. Started out, it was a better option. You'd get, you'd get two yogurts instead of the main course, which sometimes was like wilted salad or something, and that's literally what it was called. Anyway, and I remember an eight-ounce cup, and the yogurt used to come in eight-ounce cups, not six or four like today. It's, it's eight-ounce. Eight-ounce cup of Dannon yogurt, fruit on the bottom. Remember that? I mean, do they still make that? You know, Dannon yogurt with fruit on the bottom, so I get blue. I love blueberry yogurt. I love it, and I would get it, and you open it up, and it's white, and you take your spoon and you stir it up. You have to stir up the fruit from the bottom. And the instructions on how to eat the yogurt told you that. You know, you got to read the instructions. It said, stir up the fruit from the bottom. You couldn't stir it up if it wasn't there. Right? So if somebody is stirring up racial unrest, it's because those feelings are already there in so many people or they wouldn't be able to stir them up. If we're going to learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to address the problem of racism, not just as a thing of our past, but in the present. And to do that, I think we need to start looking at it through a different lens. See, we tend to think of racism as primarily having to do with the, the, with the color of a person's skin. But the truth is, racism, racism is not so much a skin issue as it is a sin issue. It's a sin issue. 100% of the time, it has to do with the sin of the human heart. James 2.9 says, if you favor some people over others, you're committing sin. Point blank. Just hits us right between the eyes with that one. If you are favoring some people over the others, you're committing sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. Now, often we think about this, and, and usually we think about this in terms of the, of the, of the rich over the, favoring the rich over the poor and so forth, because that's the example that he gives in, in this context. But it's not limited to that one example. I want to challenge us to begin to think about racism as not primarily an issue of the color of a person's sin, but having to do with the sin of the human heart. So with that in mind, we're going to look this morning at how do we neighbor those who are different from us? How do we neighbor those who are different from us, especially in a culture of racism? And we have to begin by recognizing our own prejudices. 
That's where we've got to start. We've got to recognize our own prejudices, not just those of our culture, but those of our own heart. I can't by myself change the culture in which I live, but I can allow God to work in my heart and see his, uh, and, and to begin to see his transformation take place in me. So let's start, let's start there. You know, often we look at other people and we say, you know, it's easy to look at other people and point out what's wrong with them. Uh, I need to look at myself and ask what's wrong with me. What are my issues? What are my uh, problems? Psalm 139.23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. doesn't say search my neighbor and show me what's wrong with his heart. It says, David says, search me, O God. Know my heart. Show me my heart. Ask God to search your heart and reveal any prejudice you have. See, a prejudice is it's prejudging. It's preconceived opinions that's not based on reason or actual experience. Preconceived opinions that are not based on reason or actual experience. And prejudice is not necessarily just a racial issue. There are other types of prejudice as well. It can be something like all rich people are snobs right? Or, uh, you know, refugees are all terrorists. It can be illegal immigrants or dangerous criminals. It can be homeless people are all drunks and addicts, right? Millennials are lazy. White guys can't jump. Okay, that's a little bit racial, but, you know, point is... It, it, <laughs> You know, got to lighten it up in here a little bit. You know, the tension I mentioned earlier? Anyway, uh, those, you know, those are all preconceived opinions that are not based on reason and not based on actual experience. Prejudice, it's not necessarily, it's not always a racial issue, but it is always a sin issue, and therefore it needs to be rooted out of our hearts. Everyone has prejudice of some type. Every one of us has some type of prejudice. It's, it's part of being human. We can deny it. Or we can have the integrity to examine our own hearts, repent of it where we find it, and, and when we see it. So first, recognize our own prejudices. The next thing we need to do is to seek to understand others. Rather than being quick to judge, criticize, argue, or, or argue with them, seek to listen and just begin to understand them. Before getting into a polarizing argument, mimicking the rhetoric of black lives matter, blue lives matter, all lives matter, or anything like that, before being quick to uh, accuse, argue, defend, jump on this bandwagon or that, try to understand the person and where they are coming from. I've been studying uh, the history of African Americans in this country, uh, reading firsthand accounts of what life was like as a slave in this country in pre-Civil War days and what segregation was like up, you know, especially like through the 60s and that. Currently, I'm in the middle of a book by Edward Baptist titled The Half Has Never Been Told, and uh, there couldn't be a more accurate title to that book than that because the half has never been told. What I learned in school was a very sanitized version of what really took place. It uh, doesn't begin to describe what was taking place. Now, why am I studying this? Good question. 
because 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, I was in a conversation with someone about the topic of racism. I'm just going to be, just open it up and be vulnerable here. I was in a conversation with somebody about racism. They said that, made the statement that everyone has racist thoughts and attitudes. Everyone. And um, I was offended. I mean, it hit me. I was offended because I abhor racism. I, it's repugnant to me. And I've always felt that way. Then they gave me this book, Overcoming Intentional Racism in Counseling and Therapy, A Practitioner's Guide to International, uh, or to Intentional Intervention by Charles Ridley. Usually when I start a book, I read the foreword, I read the acknowledgments, I read the preface, I read everything. Okay? I, it just it sets me up for the book. I didn't get past the preface on this book. Okay, I still have to read it. I'm going to read it. But there was a whole bunch of other stuff I needed to do before I actually got in the rest of this book. I want to, this, this is what hit me in the preface. In this book, I set forth, this is the author talking, I set forth a different approach, examining racism in mental health counselors and institutions in light of its effects. Racism has many faces. Some racism is intentional, but racism also may be unintentional. Whether intentional or unintentional, racism is always harmful. Counselors with laudable intentions often are the ones most responsible for insidious acts of racism. I'd never heard the term or thought of the concept of unintentional racism before. Thoughts or attitudes or beliefs that are not rooted in actual um, experience or reason, but that come from the culture in which we live. And when I read that, I thought, could I possibly be unintentionally holding attitudes in my heart that are rooted in something that I so despise? So I began a quest to examine my thoughts and beliefs. I began a quest also to understand the history that so much of the racial unrest, that's behind so much of the racial, racial unrest in this country. And what I found was not that I was some closet racist or whatever. I mean, you know, I, I, I didn't find that. As, but what I found was when I would listen to someone that came from a different place as me, I just didn't get it. I just didn't understand. You know, the whole blue lives matter, black lives matter, blue lives matter, you know. I, you know, would say, well, all lives matter, you know. And I remember posting something on that. You know, yes, black lives matter. Yes, blue lives matter. All lives matter. But in doing that, I realized unintentionally I was negating a whole history that 
I, I just wasn't recognizing. So often we get lost in the little things that we say and we totally uh, uh, miss the depth of the pain that it was coming from. The whole issue of the Confederate flag, Confederate monuments. I was driving by a place a little while back, person I was with said, oh, that's where the monument to so-and-so Southern General used to be. They've moved it. And I'm thinking, I love history. I like studying history. Um, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the historical value of stuff, even when it's not pretty. But I started to put myself in the place of someone who has, whose background is hundreds of years of forced labor, of slavery, and what all that entailed. And I started thinking of, I think I can begin to understand now the pain of someone when they look at that and what it represents. And to realize that there are people all around them that still believe in what that represents. I started to look at things differently. I, you know, it's, it's, I, I started to understand the history behind so much of this racial unrest that's in our country. Not just what's told in the history, history books, but what actually it was experienced by the people who lived through slavery, segregation, human trafficking, and all that goes with it. And the more I understand about human history... Uh, or more I understand the human history that's behind the racial tension of our country, the better able I am to get past the rhetoric and understand the reality of the pain in the person's heart. That's behind it all. And the better I able I am to do that, the better able I am to respond to it as Jesus would. And with all I've read and learned has come the sobering thought of how much Jesus must have wept and must weep over the brokenness of the world he created. So let's recognize our own prejudices. Forget about somebody else's. Let's recognize our own. Let's seek to understand others. And three, we need to learn to love those who are different from us. This is a biggie. We need to learn to love those who are different from us. That's what Jesus calls every one of his followers to do. June 22nd, 1996. Anybody know what happened? Nope. Nope. June 22nd, 1996. All right. The KKK was holding a rally in Ann Arbor, Michigan. The police had anticipated trouble, and, and they knew that there were going to be some protesters showing up to protest the hate, to protest the, the KKK. So they put a barrier to separate the KKK from the protesters. Uh, in spite of the barrier they put up, one man who was wearing a Confederate flag shirt and had an SS tattoo on his 
uh, arm or his shoulder area, uh, had gotten through the barricade and was in the midst of the crowd of protesters. And then somebody noticed him and, and said, you know, shouted out, there's a Klansman in the crowd. And pretty soon someone else shouted out, kill the Nazi, kill the Nazi. He tried to run, but there was nowhere to run. The mob just surrounded him. They knocked him to the ground. They began to beat him and kick him mercilessly. There was an 18-year-old African-American girl in the crowd, name of Keisha, Keisha Thomas. She saw what was happening. She went up and threw herself on top of the man, shielding him with her body. By all accounts, she most likely saved his life. Just like in the story we read, we read this morning of the man beaten by Roberts, Keisha rescued a man who most likely would have done her harm if given the chance, or at least would have wished her harm. Who does that kind of thing? Who? Committed follower of Jesus. Someone committed to following Jesus and loving your neighbor as yourself. In later interviews, she said that her faith played a big role in what she did that day. She's a committed Catholic Christian, and she said it was just the right thing to do. So this African-American high school student used her body to shield, or as a shield, to protect this white supremacist. Google her name. Keisha Thomas, you'll see pictures of her love in action, pictures of her shielding the man with the crowd, angry crowd gathered around. You'll come up with stories of, you know, she had an interview on, on Oprah, and, and uh, you'll hear her talk about how she was sitting, I think it was in a coffee shop one time, and, and uh, a man came up to her and said, I want to thank you for what you did. And she goes, what I do? What, do you, what are you talking about? Well, that man was my father. And if you hadn't done that, I think it was, you know, his, his daughter then, you know, was there and said, she would not be here today. I don't know whether it had any effect on changing the man's heart, but the trajectory of his family was broken as his family doesn't follow that that way. See, as we're talking about racism, there is something that we need to understand. Racism isn't just the presence of hatred, but it's the absence of love. Racism isn't just about hatred, it's the failure to love. It's the absence of love. That's why Racism and Christianity cannot coexist. If I'm a true follower of Jesus, I will show love toward those who are different from me. doesn't mean I agree with them or hold the same beliefs as them or the same views as them. I am not called to hold the same beliefs or the same views as somebody else. I'm simply called to love people. When the Samaritan man stopped to care for the Jewish man who was beaten and robbed, 
He showed him love. He didn't question him whether or not they agreed on everything the man believed. He didn't ask what political party he was from. He didn't ask questions about his sexual identity or his gender identity. He didn't ask whether he was pro-life, pro-choice, or whatever other hot-button issues of the day were. He simply showed him love and compassion. When Keisha Thomas uh, shielded the white supremacists with her own body, that was an act of love. It wasn't an endorsement of the man's white supremacist views. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy, and racism is a work of the enemy, because Jesus came to reconcile all men and women in, uh, in him. Galatians 3.28 says there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. He sees us as one. In Christ, there's no room for racist thoughts, racist attitudes, intentional or unintentional. In heaven, there's not going to be a white section, a black section, a red section, a yellow section, a blue section, a purple section. There's not going to be anything of that. We're going to be one great crowd. There's going to be one crowd. John gives us a glimpse of this. In Revelation 7, he says, After this I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language. Just in case you're wondering, English will not be the official language of heaven. Okay? There will be all languages, all right? All languages. So if I can get a head start in learning a couple others now, go for it. I'm going to do it. It says that, 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 that uh, uh, every na- people from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb, they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. That's what it's going to be like in heaven. Paul says in Romans, anyone who trusts in him will will never be disgraced. And then he says, Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There's no separation of races. We are all God's creation. And all who call on his name, all who believe in him are his children. The most important thing you can do after loving God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind is to love your neighbor as yourself. And to, that, uh, to do that, we must recognize our prejudices, we must seek to understand others, and we need to learn to love those who are different from us. I want to give you some homework as I close tonight. Let's let the worship team come on up. I want to give you their close this morning. I haven't talked that long, have I? No, I guess not. Uh, I want to give you some homework. I want you to write down one thing, just one thing that you're going to do to begin to better understand someone who is different than you. It could be racial difference, could be anything else. One thing that you're going to do to better understand somebody who is different from you. And then I want you to put a date on it for when you're going to do it by. Say by, you know, by Saturday or by July 15th or whatever it is. And not, not by the year 2020 or, you know, something like that. But I want you to put a reasonable date on it. Think, and, and that'll depend on what it is. You can invite a person to coffee, invite a person to lunch. 
get to know them better. You could you can you know somehow you know find out someone's story more either either through personal conversation with them and just hey what was it like for you, you know growing up? Did you ever have a you know ha- have issues with this or with that or or you know uh, something like that? It could be you know you're gonna you're gonna re- begin to read a little bit more on on what it was like for this group of people and you know and, and their history. I mean, when you grow with, um, 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 when, when you, a person is more than just what stands before you. There's, there's a whole host of history that's behind them that has helped shape them and, uh, to who they are. And sometimes that history has a lot to do, usually that history has a lot to do with where they are. And several years back, I remember that the Pope was going to make a trip to Greece. Now, there was a split centuries ago, early in the church, between the Eastern Church and the Western Church. Western Church being, you know, is what we now know as you know uh, the Catholic Church, and and Eastern would be Eastern Orthodox. That was not a nice split, and there was so much anger from that split that several years back when the Pope was going to visit Greece, which would be where the Eastern Orthodox Church is, he had to cancel his trip because there was rioting in the streets. The rioting goes back hundreds of years to the split between the East and the West Church, the anger that was there over that. History is what makes people who they are. So that's your homework.